Thank you for coming in today's podcast. We'll be doing the third step prayer and the uh, seventh step prayer and the okay prayer. (laughs) So here we go. Third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this this prayer. And the next prayer is uh, the seventh step prayer. And it goes, my creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect or character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me the strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Like I said, I'm Fernando Alcoholic. Welcome to today's uh, short podcast, about five minutes. Uh, On page 25, it says, The great fact is just this, and nothing less, that we had had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we can never do by ourselves. Then we run to the OK prayer. That's on page 416 at the bottom. It says, says, OK, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. And it is all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? Amen. And it goes on to say, when I stopped living in the problem and began living in the answer, the problem went away. From that moment on, I have not had a single compulsion to drink. I believe the problem is a, uh, to live in the now and acknowledge God is to declare that you accept the problem. That's what it's saying right here. And then we're asking God, now, what am I going to do about it? So those two little words, now and what, and uh, acceptance, and it's all right with me. I believe that they're the words for true health, for a true responsible person to respond to situations properly with our higher power as the, uh, as the judge, the prime minister sitting on our hearts, helping us make the right decision on situations. On page 100, it says right here, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances. Amen. Okay, we'll go ahead and stop right there. Let's go ahead and finish with the uh, Lord's Prayer. And I bid you, everyone, to have a good day today because we asked for it. (laughs) We're asking for a good day. Here we go. Our Father. Our Father. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will 
be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Keep coming back. It's working. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, Anthony. Uh, bye, Fernando. Bye now. Bye. bye. <laughs> Welcome, family, to today's podcast. Let us open this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Welcome for today's podcast. I pray that you we find you in good spirits. Let's go ahead and start our readings of daily reflection for today, please, on the 21st of December, just three days before Christmas. When working with a man and his family, ye should take care not to participate in their quarrels. You may spoil your chance of being helpful if you do. Alcoholic Anonymous, page 100. When trying to help a few fellow alcoholics, I've given it to an impulse to give advice, or perhaps that's inedible, but allowing others the right to be wrong reaps its own benefits. The best I can do, and it sounds easier than is. Put into practice is to listen, share personal experience, and pray for others. That's the hardest thing for me to do. Is to, I'm getting better at it. Is not to give so much advice. You know, I have the wives that frantically call me and he said, "He's drinking again." Here, he's on the phone. And I said, "No, wait a minute. I'd like to talk to you." And usually the problem is that. They do not believe that the man's going to make it all the way through. So I have to tell them, you, you need to thank God for his drinking and his habits. And just give him acceptance and belief in this manner. And half of them believe, and, and half of them I get to be on their grudge list. So I'm putting you on my list right here. Top of the list. I became top of the list many times. Even in meetings, you know, when I voice my uh, toolbox out there, you know, and I should wait for people ask for my advice instead of being giving it so freely. So, live and learn, folks. Live and learn. Right now, I'm listening to jazz winter music. Enjoy 30 seconds. See what you think from YouTube.
All right, welcome back. Thank you so much. I am looking for an article for Christmas here from the grapevines from December of any year, okay? Yep, thank God we got plenty. We even got some guideposts in here. Here's one. December 1992. Anonymy is the spiritual foundation. Let's see what it has to say about any Christmases. Or has a good title to it. Nineteen ninety-two. Very good. Very good. Uh, at that time, their their cost was only a dollar twenty-five in nineteen ninety-two. I have other subscriptions that are thirty-five cents. All right. Well, let's go ahead and read one right here. It says. Uh, the circle of friends. I was a loner all my life. Let me lower this down for a minute. I was a loner all my life. I was always scared and ashamed. I was poor. I live in dilapidated house. And my alcoholic father put my family through hell. I never had any friends. That I despised alcohol for dealing me such a rotten break in life. As an adult, I vowed never to be poor again and succeeded, but I fell to alcohol. Like my father and those fears of people, places, and things never left me. I made several geographical moves, hoping to magically fit into society with a new start. They never worked. When I finally walked through the doors of AA, people smiled and introduced themselves to me. They sensed that I wanted terribly to get sober, but I didn't know how to ask for help. To some of them, hugged me and told me they loved me and asked me to keep coming back. They loved me unconditionally. My new friends listened to me and cared about me. They also trusted me and brought out the hidden qualities in me. In return, they asked nothing from me. No one cared about my past, where I lived, or where I worked. When I was six months sober while I was in shopping mall with one of my daughters, I ran into a fellow AA named Fred. Fred got a big smile on his face. He went on and on about how happy he was to see me. He introduced himself to my 10-year-old daughter and made a big deal over meeting her too. Fred told my daughter that I was a good man. After Fred went his way, my daughter asked me who he was. I said, he's my friend. She was shocked. She shocked me with her reply. Quit kidding, Daddy. Who is he really? You don't have any friends. <laughs> Her innocent statement hurt for a moment, but then I realized it wasn't true anymore. For the first time in my life, I really did have friends. I have even more friends today. Together, we share our experiences, strengths, and hopes. I don't know the last names of many of my friends or what they do for a living. I do, however, extend the same unconditional love to them, which was so freely given to me. I look forward to attending meetings so I can be with my friends. I still get a tear in my eye when people in AA introduce me to others, 
as their friend. Jim D. Columbus, Ohio. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful reading. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Let thy fountains be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as a loving hen and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtain favor from the Lord. Houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her prize is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She opened her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twains, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may be one mind and one mouth. Glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, 
that you may be one mind and in one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife has not power over her own body, but the husband, and likewise also. The husband has no power of his own body, but the wife. And unto the married I command you, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which has an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her, her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or now knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loose. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abides after my judgment. And I think also that I have the Spirit of God. Chariot, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity bonded not, itself is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh not evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, bear it all things, believe it all things, hope all things, endure it all things, chariot never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, 
but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the ear, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be you kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, so that the love he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you, and particularly so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whenever I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of all the people. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as become at holiness, not false accusers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemy. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of their wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, 
whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price for after this manner in the old time the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughter you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, your husband, dwell with them according to knowledge. Give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Reading for today, chapter 6 of the book of Matthew. Take heed that you do not your alms or works before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou dost thine alms do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou dost alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand doeth. That time that alms may be in secret, and the Father which see it in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which see it in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their mouth much speaking. Be not you therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth that what things you have need of before you ask him. After this manner therefore pray you, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, <clears throat> be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head, and wash thy face, that thou appear unto not unto men to fast, but unto the Father which is in secret. And thy Father will see it in secret, shall reward thee openly. Let not lay up not for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor dust rust corrupt, and where thieves do not break through to steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The light is the body, is the eye. The light of the body is the eye, and therefore that eye be Therefore let thy eye be single. Thy whole body shall be full of light. But if if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is thy darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, hold no honor. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and in the body than raiment? Behold the falls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they tell you not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or where shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek you first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow will, shall take thought for thy things of itself. Sufficient not unto thy day is the evil thereof. The word of the Lord. All right, let's back up a little bit. Let's take a little uh, Bible study here. It says, uh, Take heed that you do not 
your works before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Wow, excuse me. That is amazing. The uh, We are not to trumpet out the good things we do. I think that's one of the things that is the hardest for anyone to, uh, to follow when we do a good deed. I myself have been guilty when you give money for Africa and stuff like that or to the poor. Boy, uh, but the point is that the rewards come from the Father which sees us in secret. And we're actually planting seeds of good words that we're going to, we're kind of making an investment. You know, have you ever felt... Uh, happy when you made an IRS investment, a monthly investment for your future into the stock market coupled with an IRA. Wasn't that a pretty good feeling? You felt like you'd done something good, something well. Confidence. Someone said that it was almost a spiritual thing that you're strengthening the economy of the United States and you're part of a spiritual growth. It just, it just felt good in my spirit when I was investing. The short time that I did, that that's how I relate that verse to, you know, that we're, uh, and to keep it in secret because it, it is a goal, right? It is a goal to the future, and I may procure uh, jealousy on other people, you know, and it also... In making a wise investment, it also helps uh, my prosperity. It helps me feel confident in that I'm, I'm, I'm doing something worthwhile for myself and for the nation. And, and I just, the confidence is immeasurable as you invest, you know, in savings for yourself for the future. It's just an amazing feeling. You know, and always, like always, our past, because of the way I live, comes and, and destroys any progress we're trying to make. So we say, what's the use? What's the use? But God has given us here, uh, for instance, I had bills with, with child support and so forth. I had to crack open my IRAs and give them all out. Or the IRS came and took all my investments, you know, because I owe money, which is fine. But this one relates on the same principle. That when you do little little acts towards others, uh, those are seeds planted. And, we, and I should stay quiet about them because it has the same uh, feeling that I've done something good. Prosperity is on its way. I've done an investment. And I want to catch the spiritual confidence of doing something. I hope you catch what I'm saying. Those are the years of living and failing, living and succeeding. Okay, let's let's keep moving on. Right here. It says when when verse three, when we do our works, let not our left hand know what our right hand is doing. Keep our mouth shut. It says do not sound the trump trumpet. Okay, here's the very point. For they may have glory of men. We want glory of thy Father. So it's very important that we, uh, therefore, that we don't 
trumpet, say out loud what the good things we've done, give money to the homeless, or give money to the uh, orphans, or something, you know, uh, for they have their reward, so we just lost our seed. says right here that your alms may be in secret okay those that's an instruction that's a buffer right there that's a punch in the nose are we going to keep our mouth shut <clears throat> that that they let our works our seeds that we're planting and <clears throat> for future harvest they may be in secret that thy father would see it in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Jesus and the father wants to reward me. So they want to reward you. Now I'm, I'm reading to you from Kenneth Copeland's Bible. He's got his notes in here. And those are his lifelong notes too. And I noticed when, uh, when Kenneth Copeland or his wife, when they preach, they don't talk anything about the their orphanages, their wings that they have investments in. We hear from other people. They have orphanages in Mexico. They have feeding programs. You know, they don't trumpet like a lot of other preachers trumpet to to raise money. And and they're one of the most prosperous. uh, I mean, they provide items for free on their broadcast. You just call them up and say, I want this free. And they send you books and your Bibles and everything free. I don't know if they still do it, but... And to me, that's the true gospel. When you see a person is so prosperous because of the Word of God, and someone calls in for materials, we don't call in anymore. we got enough material to read. Up the yang-yang. And you too, you probably have... A lot of material that you haven't read there, you don't pick them up on a, just like to, uh, we just like to see them, we're hoarders, I'll speak for myself, okay, and when you should, you pray, be not as a hypocrite, the same thing when praying, maybe praying has the same uh, investment like an IRA, right, and that, would that be great if we spent our time praying? For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you pray, enter your closet, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which sees in secret, shall reward thee openly. Here it is another principle. Keep your mouth shut about our prayer. Do it secretly. But when we pray, let us not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard with their much speaking. Verse 7. Be you not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. So inquire of the Lord for words of life. In other words, just let your spirit go. He put all in that in there are no requests in this prayer, only words of faith in the Our Father declaring, keep us from being tempted. And keeping from being tempted is trumpeting our good works, trumpeting that we pray. Keep us from being temptation. So 
You notice that the prayer of the Our Father is only making words of faith. In other words, we're planting words of seed. Amen. So our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need. We're investing in the kingdom of heaven. Put your earthly treasures in there and make sure you forgive others who trespasses. Well, because that would be a hinder. Uh, let go of the grievances. And then when you fast, you know, when you're a keto or intermittent fasting, look good. You know, when you appear unto others, that you are anoint, anoint your head and be happy, be joyous. Work. We work our attitude to be uppity up and be uh, pleasant to people, to encourage others that are going through life and have not a ch the chance to lay hold of this information and be healthy. It says, but lay up your treasures in heaven. Let not for, lay not for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up your, for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break through and snort steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's the IRS. There's the 401k, folks. Putting our, our prayers and treasures in the heavens uh, secretly, our hearts will be there also, and and it will it won't be able to these will be able to break in and take our investment like the IRS took my investment, you know, or my own thievery in the past caught up to me by not paying my obligations. If I was spending a half a time in prayer, praying to the Father, praying to our Father, blessing others, and being aware of the tempt, the evil one is going to come and tempt me to get my information out, to, for me to trumpet that I'm fasting, trumpet that I'm that I'm giving money, trumpet that I'm praying for others. All that needs to be for Fernando here. Has to be in secret. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. There it is. I guess when we're praying, the light goes on. Somebody's home. It makes all sense to me. It all, it's all coming together. His righteousness equals the right way to get it done. His righteousness. Through praying in this form. Because we are spiritual beings but if my eye be evil if in other words if I be uh, rancorn and uh, down in the mouth and you know for my part to be mad at a neighbor my eye will be evil so in other words the prayers the prayers will keep my light on and no man can serve two masters Either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and your serve your your holdings, your money. And that was verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, 
what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body what you shall put on. Okay, he's still referring back to the prayer of the Our Father that your Father knows what we need of. Okay, we're still talking about the same thing with the uh, apostles as Jesus teaches how to pray. look for sources for your life's needs. It is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. The Lord God will dress us. Behold, the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they are? The opportunity is that we can sow and reap by keeping our mouths quiet and praying and uh, stacking up our IRA in heaven. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto the stature? Okay, thinking won't do it, but praying. And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil or not. Why you take thought for your resources? He's given us a system that we can prosper. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which to this day and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or where shall we clothe? For all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. So in other words, stay in faith, O you of little faith. If you have faith and you pray properly, you should we these thoughts about what we're gonna eat, where we're gonna drink, where we're gonna do, we're gonna be that's acting out of faith. Relax. For all those things the Gentiles seek. For our Heavenly Father knoweth the things that we need of. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in the, in the way that Jesus has just explained. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow, tomorrow will shall take care of itself of the things thereof. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof that's trying to keep us from our blessing. One more point I wanted to make right here is the fact is that I forgot the point. Other than once I needed uh, I needed some shirts. I was working in uh, Ralph's Grocery Company delivering, and uh, I needed some works for shirt. I wanted some really nice long sleeve shirts for uh, that I would you know look look professional. And I, I left to go see the kids, you know. I got divorced early when I was, and my kids were early, so I, I, the weekend came along, and I, I drive 300 miles to go see them in the weekend. And I and I take a bunch of cookies to give away. I bought cookies from the little girls next door, which they had uh, Girl Scout cookies. I bought seven, almost 20 boxes. <laughs> I told the little girls when they came to the door, they asked me, would you buy cookies? And the parents are looking at me from across the street, you know, the little girls are there. And 
knock on the door, and I say, sure, give me two of everything. And they just breathe with smile, and they left, and I said, what did I just do? Anyway, when I was up north, I was giving cookies away. And, uh, and I was in the gas station, and uh, my ex-sister-in-law, bless her heart, she passed by, she said, Fernando, do you need some shirts? I was at laundromat and somebody grabbed my clothes and they left this shirt, so I took the shirts. I go, yeah, I'm thinking, I just prayed for shirts. And you know, I got, I'm not a tall man. I have short arms. Did you know that those shirts perf- fit me perfectly on my, on my wrist? They didn't hang over. It was an amazing thing. Got about six of them. And plaid, little squares, just exactly the way I like them. Couldn't be any more better. A miracle that God took care of was exactly the things I needed. Once, anyway, I can go on and on on miracles, and you probably heard them. Housing, cars. But the one where I failed is in the investment of quiet. The temptation comes and I open my mouth and I let the cat out of the bag and I lose my investment. So that's why I'm telling you some guys, write it down. Write it down. I will keep my mouth shut about my investments and my prayers and I will start investing in heaven's 401k, IRA, and all those fancy names and and see if uh, the system flies Praying our Father for half hour for somebody. Anyway, I love you. God bless you. Thank you. I really got a lot to study today. We will continue on the book of Matthew and back up a little. We're in chapter 6. We'll go ahead and start doing 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And honor our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Have a good day. Have a good time. Give them heaven, family.
that if God is saying, happy are people that have visions. Happy are people that visualizes in their mind the word of God, which is imagination. Happy are the people that imagines God's word as truth. Now we're going to examine and validate that. People that don't imagine God's word as truth, they're not going to be happy. But people that will imagine God's word as being true, they're going to be happy. It'll change everything in your life. You can change your financial status if you'll just find scriptures and validate that they're in agreement with God's word. There's plenty. And just mentally see that. And we can all do it. Children do it all the time. We can do it too. So the word vision, the Hebrew word is causal, and it, this is exactly what it says. I wrote it down in my Bible. It says to mentally dream a revelation or an oracle, specifically to have a vision with pleasure. So you can do it anytime you want. You mentally, with pleasure, you have a vision. And then the word oracle, you're having an oracle. If, you, if you'll do some study along the lines of what an oracle is, an oracle of God is the highest commandment of God in all of existence. It's the highest commandment of God. And so God has given us the privilege to have the highest commandment in all of existence, and all we have to do is imagine God's word is truth. Here's the problem. Even when you get a hold of this, the devil is going to try to stop you from continually having imaginations. And just keep imagining. Keep on dreaming. Amen. Well, let's go on here. And um, look at 1 Timothy in chapter 4 and verse 15. And I'm going to show you how that it will cause you to be blessed in the natural. To where that it'll just, one day, it'll not be just a spiritual vision, but you get to feel it, experience it, and taste it. See it physically. Here, 1 Timothy in chapter 4, and verse 15, it says, Meditate. Co-equally in the Greek, that word meditate is rendered as imagine. So imagine upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them. And as you study, what are we talking about? That whole chapter is talking about God's word. In verse 13, it says, Till I come, give attendance to reading. Reading what? Reading the word of God. Exhortation and to doctrine. Read that whole chapter and you see it's in reference to God's word. And so if you'll... Verse 15, if you'll imagine God's word, you meditate upon these things, give yourself wholly to them, that your profiting may appear to all. So it's going to appear to other people. Other people will see it, that they're blessed. That I remember years ago that um, we started a church in Winsville, Missouri, uptown, and it was an old beat-up storefront building, and... Um, it used to be a furniture store. It would seat maybe 75 people. That's about it. 
and we had maybe normally 25 to 35 people on a good Sunday. If it rains, you know, people, they stay home for some reason. But that's what we had. And uh, we were paying about $2,500 a month for that facility. And we were about two months behind. And I had an imagination of this building 10 years prior to that. I said, I want to do this. I want to build the impossible. I want to do the impossible in an impossible situation. Back in those years, when we built this building, it would seat one-third of the city's population. It's out in the middle of the woods. And I said, anybody can go to a big city and build a church. I want to do the impossible in an impossible situation so that God would get glory. However, we were two months behind. We had no money. I had no money, but I had an imagination, and I continued to imagine it, and I did everything in the physical to, to make it come to pass that I could possibly do, but I never lost the vision. After we finally got it built, and it was 10 years I imagined this, and after I got it built, back in those years, we had a little small house that Don and I, we physically built that with our hands, and we heated it. In the wintertime, I'd go cut wood. That's how we heated that house. And I was out in the wintertime. The building's already built. And there was about six inches of snow on the ground. And it's snowing. And I just got tired. And I laid in the, the snow. I can take you to the spot. And I laid there. I looked up to heaven. The snow's coming down. And I can remember. And I just started crying. And I said, God, nobody will ever tell me. They'll never be able to persuade me that me and Donna did this because of how wonderful we are. I know it was a miracle of God, a total miracle of God. Because, I mean, we're 2500 in debt for two months, and went, now we borrow the money, and we have an additional $3,500, $3,400 a month extra. But it's here. It's here. And now it's paid for, been paid for for probably about 15 years, totally out of debt. Because we imagine the power of imagination. And so I'm laying there in the snow, and I said, God, I thank you so much. I know that you did this, but I, I, want, I want to ask you one thing, God. How come it took so long? <laughs> and you know what God told me? And it'll work for you, too. He says, for 10 years, you've been waiting on me. And for 10 years, I've been waiting on you. And so you need to get the imagination, but you need to do everything that you possibly can. The Bible says, having done all the stand, stand, Ephesians chapter 6. Having done all. So you do everything that you can and never lose your dream. Never lose your imagination. You continue to imagine. And so then it'll, then it'll, it'll appear to other people. And so I said all that to say this, that we had people to leave. The church, we were running, like I said, healthy. The best was 30, 35 on Sunday morning. And about half of those left because they said, Mel Bond's crazy. They started calling me Noah. And they said, yeah, this is crazy. Why build a building like that? We can't even get build this little place up. After it was built, I'll never forget it. Some of those people came back and visited, and it just went like this. They says, I heard them. They didn't know I was listening. They says, wow, what he preaches really is true. It'll appear to all. 
people will be drawn to God. You are the best advertisement for God. When you're healed, when you have a miracle, when you are blessed mentally, physically, socially, financially, people are going to look at you and say, wow, God's word is true. They don't read their Bibles. They read us. They read us. Amen. So, I want you to look at 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 17 and 8, because I want to show you how that imagination will produce God's glory in this world. And, and for you, it'll produce God's glory. Now we're talking this word glory in the, Hebrew, in the Greek, I'm sorry. Again, it's the word doxa, which means the reputation of God. I've said this so many times, but I need to say it again. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 19 through 23, was Jesus' last prayer for me and you, for the human race. And he prayed this. He says, Father, I pray that the same glory that you give me, that you gave me, I pray that you give it to them that shall believe. How many believes in Jesus? Well, you've got it then. You've got it, because Jesus always got his prayers answered. And that word glory in the Greek, you look it up, it says the reputation of God. Didn't Jesus have the reputation of God? Absolutely. And I'm going to keep on teaching it and teaching it. I'm going to keep calling it until we have it. And guess what's going to take place? This is going to happen. As I study the Bible, that I see that, and I've got a, a book titled, If We Neglect the Ministry of Signs and Wonders, We Neglect the Rapture. In that particular book, I, I validate so strongly how that we have the glory of God and what it can do. And the Bible teaches and it says, all the miracles that ever took place from the beginning of time until the, this last day, it's all going to happen in the first month. And then God pours out his spirit as never before. And so it's sort of like this. God isn't going to give us something until we use what we've got. Now stop and think about this. All the miracles that took place. Didn't Jesus walk on the water? What do you think would happen this afternoon? If a six-year-old girl walks across the Mississippi River. Better than that. The six-year-old girl separates the Mississippi River. Isn't that what it says in the Bible? They separated, uh, Joshua separated the, the Jordan River in flood stage. It was about 140 feet deep, and he separated that. Just go separate that Mississippi River. All the junk that's going on up at the White House, all the demonic junk, we can get rid of that. All we have to do, just go up there with the Atlantic Ocean. Just one of you go up there this afternoon and just separate that thing. It's 100 feet wide. We'll take this world into a place, into an arena they can't compete with. You will have the world's attention. And that's what's going to take place in the last days. The Bible says everything that took place. And so there's masses coming into the kingdom of God. People can debate and criticize the preaching of different doctrines. They can't criticize something that no other God can do. They, I, I'm telling you what, the Jehovah Witness, they can't separate a little creek. They can't lay all, all the occults and all the different teachings and all the isms. And they, 
they can't heal a mosquito with a headache. And so when our God comes, when, when, our, when, when God's people are filled with the fullness of God and start doing the works of Jesus and greater, then it'll be real simple. Is it Holly? Haley. I'll get that before you leave. Haley? Here, she's a lawyer, but I mean, you'd probably change your profession when all that happened. And you go separate the Mississippi River, and then, I mean, there's going to be camera people all over the United States within an hour. And you just tell them, say, I'm going to do it again tomorrow at noon. Every major TV network in the world will be there. They don't care if she's got a PhD or an XYZ, anything else. There's nobody else doing this. They're going to give her free TV time that would normally cost billions of dollars. And now she's got it free. And then you can point in the camera after that and say, I want to tell you folks something. You think this is something? This is nothing. If you will accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to have a supernatural lifestyle, abundant lifestyle in this world, and you get to spend eternity in heaven. And they'll listen. And they'll accept. Because you didn't just give words, but you give a demonstration that no other God can compete with. No other religion can compete with. But people's got to... You, you got to have, I guess, a wild Indian like me that's not afraid of being criticized to teach people this first. People have to know it first before you can do it. And so I'm going to keep on teaching it. God wants you to be filled with his fullness. Second Corinthians in chapter 4, all through this chapter, it talks about the glory of God. In verse, uh, all of his, I could spend two hours here, so I'm, I'm just going to give you some homework. Read chapter 3, and it talks about how that we are changed into God's glory basically by reading the word of God. And then and then it says in verse 1, chapter 4, it says we have this ministry. What ministry? Read this whole chapter. It talks about the ministry of having the reputation of God. And then here's how it comes into operation. That in verse 15, 17, I'm sorry, chapter 4, the major point I want to bring out is that last phrase where it says we have this exceeding and eternal weight of glory, God's glory, God's reputation. We have it. The right-hand side goes all the way down to your tailbone. And looks like sometimes it goes into your right leg region. Most of the time, if I see it scared like that, Greetings. My name is Patrick, and I am one of God's kids. Today, we'll be reading from Limitless Love, a 365-day devotional by Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. We're going to go to today, which is December 21st, 2021. It's titled, Remember Them No More. Quote, 
for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their inequities. I will remember no more. End quote. And that's from Hebrews 8.12. God loves us so much that when he cleanses us from our sins, he doesn't just forgive us. He remembers our sins no more. And if he doesn't remember them, neither should we. We should never let the devil keep us down by making us look of the sins of our past. He will try to do that, you know. He'll try hard. The minute he sees you're making progress in your life and walking in the righteousness God has given you, the devil will bring you your history. He'll say, how can you expect to do anything for God after all the bad things you've done? But when that happens, stand fast in faith. Once you've repented and put a sin under the blood, leave it there. Don't let the devil beat you over the head with it. Refuse to let him make you look back. Instead, do what Jesus said in Luke 17.32. Remember Lot's wife. In that passage, Jesus was referring to the time when God sent an angel to bring Lot and his family out of the city of Sodom, where they had been living because it was wicked and destined for destruction. The angel gave them instructions that would get them safely to their chosen destination. He said, don't look back. And that's from Genesis 19.17. Lot's wife, however, disobeyed. She turned, looked back at the sinful place behind her, and got stuck in that place. There, the Bible says, she became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife never reached the place where God was taking her because she refused to leave the past behind. Years ago, Ken and I heard a story about a little boy in Sunday school who responded to that story with great excitement. After his teacher told how Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt, he raised his hand eagerly. That's nothing, he exclaimed. When my mom was driving down the road the other day, she looked back and turned into a telephone pole. Clearly, the little boy misunderstood the scriptural story, but oddly enough, the message is the same. When we let our past distract us and get our eyes on past events, we get off course and run into trouble. We end up stuck in yesterday, unable to fulfill the will of God for our lives today. Don't let that happen to you. Take full advantage of God's loving forgiveness and forgetfulness. Follow his, his example and remember your sins no more. Steer clear of pillars of salt and telephone poles. Fixing your eyes on Jesus and keep moving towards your destiny in Him. Amen. Greetings, family. I'm going to be listening to uh, Dr. Berg talking to another doctor about the new strand and how to be properly protected through vitamin D and other factors. Let's take good care of ourselves, stay away from people, keep up the vitamin C and good practices of health. Uh, let us not be defiant, defiant to our own selves. I found out that I am defiant to myself and I didn't take precautions properly. And, Enjoy this podcast. So welcome everyone.
everyone. I have a very special guest, Dr. Roger Schwelt is with us. And I don't know, you probably have seen his um, YouTube channel. He's all over the YouTube channel, especially with the COVID-19 and vitamin D. But uh, Dr. Schwelt has uh, some serious qualifications, uh, quadruple board certified in pulmonary medicine, um, internal medicine, critical care, sleep medicine. He's also the co-founder of MedCram which uh, teaches students and clinicians all over the world. And I think you have over a million uh, students who actually have been through your course, which is quite impressive. So welcome, Doc. Thank you very much, Dr. Berg. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be on. Awesome. So, um, you know, I've been watching uh, quite a few of your videos on vitamin D. You, you have quite a uh, Great, uh, great information. I can see that you, you dove right into the uh, research hardcore. So I want to kind of pick your brain and just uh, um, share with our uh, viewers. So uh, I guess the first question I have is related to um, what has been the latest research in relationship to vitamin D and COVID-19 as far as prevention and treatment? I know in, in 2020, there's just a lot of observational studies, but I don't know if there's much clinical trials, there might have been a few, I don't know, you tell me, you, you've dove into this hardcore. Yeah, so the, the clinical trials have been plagued, I think, with the issues of metabolism of vitamin D. So most of the clinical trials focused on, okay, here is somebody with COVID-19 showing up to a hospital, let's give them a large doses of vitamin D, and, and hopefully, since we're seeing a huge association between low vitamin D levels and COVID-19, low vitamin D levels and poor outcomes, low vitamin D levels and mortality, maybe if we improve their vitamin D levels, uh, they will have better outcomes. And the problem is, is that there's been a number of trials where they have supplemented in massive doses. There was one trial where they gave 200,000 international units to, a patient, to patients that came into the hospital and really, they didn't see an improvement in mortality. They didn't see an improvement in, uh, in time uh, to a worsening. But on the other hand, there's been some trials where they actually have done this. So there was one called the SHADE trial, which was done in India. It was on about 30 or 40 patients, where they gave um, 60,000 uh, 60, international units. And they noticed that there was uh, a reduction in the cyto cyto storm, cytokine storm uh, factors. There was a improvement in time to recovery. They, they turned negative on their SARS-CoV-2 uh, tests faster. Um, and so that was with regular supplementing of vitamin D. Now, for anyone, any serious student of vitamin D will know that when you take vitamin D into your body, either by supplementation or pill, or you get it from the sun, there's a process. There's actually a few steps in this process. The first one being where the liver puts on a very important hydroxyl group. For those of you who are chemistry uh, deficient, that's an OH group on, on the compound. And that's important for the body to be able to use that. Well, that, that takes time, unfortunately. It takes a number of days, in fact. And so some researchers have said, well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's taking so long that it's not helping. And so there was a group in Spain that decided to take uh, vitamin D already with a hydroxyl group on it called uh, calcifidiol, or 25-hydroxyvitamin D. And they did a study that showed a significant reduction in the number of people that had to be admitted to the intensive care unit. Uh, they followed up with a larger trial, which, um, which also showed some benefit, but there were some issues with the randomization. It was sort of a, a problem. 
And, um, and since that time, a lot of the studies that have come out have been on the regular vitamin D and not this 25-hydroxy. I should note to, your, to, your, to the people listening is that that 25-hydroxy vitamin D is not available over the counter. It's only available as a prescription because it's used in patients with kidney problems and, and things of that nature. So that's kind of where we are right now with randomized controlled trials, at least for those that are being hospitalized and very sick. It is the is that by type of vitamin D? Um, it just it's less steps in conversion to the active form, right? It, I think it it doesn't need the liver to be converted because it's already. Um, uh, I think it just has one step in the liver. That's correct. Okay. That, so the way I remember this, it's kind of crazy, but the 25 hydroxy vitamin D, I remember that's the liver one because two plus five is seven, and there's seven lobes to the liver. That, that might not make sense <laughs> to people, but um, but the one hydroxy is really the last step. It's the one that puts the finishing touches on it. The the kidney is where this happens for calcium metabolism. But interestingly, we're finding out that white blood cells have that ability to hydroxylate at the one position as well. And so white blood cells, which are, of course, a key component of the immune system, can take this 25-hydroxy vitamin D as the, as the starting material and instantly convert it into the active form and use it for itself. So yeah, so one 25-dihydroxy vitamin D is the very, very active form. And you never really want to take that. that could, if you take too much of it, it could kill you just based on hypercalcemia. So taking regular vitamin D over-the-counter on a regular basis is the way to go, and let your body metabolize it as it needs to. Got it. And as far as the, the receptors for vitamin D in the different parts of the immune system, I'm, it's quite widespread, isn't it? I mean, it's yes. such a, a spectrum. It does, it does a lot. Yeah, and, and to, to talk about the receptors, uh, you'd have to sort of back up a little bit and talk about what vitamin D is and what it looks like. Any, anybody that goes to Google and types in vitamin D chemical structure will see very quickly that the structure resembles that of very powerful hormones in the body like testosterone, estrogen, cortisol. All of these steroid hormones work by going into the nucleus of the cell in question and changing how the cell transcribes its DNA into RNA and then finally the RNA into protein. So it changes the way the cells actually behave. So vitamin D is not just this, this vitamin that you need to take to make your enzymes work. It actually has very complicated and very um, profound effects on cells. So, so it's, it's kind of a hormone-like uh, compound. Yeah. If we, if we, and this is kind of a side question that I'm just curious about. Uh, I don't know if you know much about this, but if we take a look at cortisol and um, vitamin D, um, both of them have some similar actions. They're both anti-inflammatories. They both suppress a hyper state of the immune system. Um, but I, correct me if I'm wrong, but cortisol tends to um, just kind of put the entire immune system to sleep, doesn't it? I mean, it just inactivates the whole immune system. Yeah. But I don't know if that's true with vitamin D. That's not. So vitamin D tends to be an immunomodulator. Uh, yeah. I think the, the structure similarity between estrogen, testosterone, cortisol, vitamin D, in that, that they all, they're all lipid-soluble, so they can go through membranes very easily. They can go through the nuclear membrane down into the... DNA where they can affect RNA transcription. But after that, there are subtleties to these hormones that specifically interact with promoters that promote certain aspects of the genes. And I think that's where they are different. So cortisol will activate certain genes. Um, aldosterone, which is another steroid hormone, will activate certain other genes. 
And uh, of course, vitamin D does uh, does it in a different way as well. So, um, so then, does the vitamin D help? The, uh, any research on the duration of uh, viral infections, including COVID, like, is there any research that shows it shortens the duration or intensity, or even some of the complications that can occur post COVID? Yeah. So we have a lot of data that shows that that though all of those bad things are associated with a low vitamin D level. And we have just a few studies that seem to show that supplementation, so intervention with vitamin D, does cut down the amount of time someone is positive, does cut down on the number of cytokine factors. That was the SHADE study. But we do, so, and that's, that's what I'm aware of in COVID-19, but we are aware of how vitamin D can outside of COVID. So if we're talking about the flu, if we're talking about chest infection, there is a, a world of data there that shows that yes, supplementation with vitamin D does cut down not only on the time, but also on the incidence of some of those infections. Especially since the flu normally occurs in the winter or the late fall, um, obviously it sounds like a good correlation between most people are low in vitamin D, so they might be more susceptible. Right, yeah. So, for instance, there was, uh, in the British Medical Journal published in 2018, a landmark study that was published by Dr. Martineau. It was a meta-analysis of 25 randomized placebo-controlled trials that showed that people who supplement at a reasonable level, so that in this case it was about uh, 25 micrograms, which works out to be about, I believe, 400 international units, so not very much, um, when they supplemented, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, he was able to show that over a period of time, it, it cut down on the amount of acute chest infections in those patients. There, there's a, an Irish study called TILDA, it's a, it's a longevity study. It showed that vitamin D supplementation cut down on acute chest infections by 50%. And then finally, there was a study in Japan where they gave vitamin D supplementation not to old people in nursing homes, but to young children in schools and they were able to show over a winter season that there was a significant reduction in the number of positive tests for influenza. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, I, I don't understand why they have the, the, the way they test vitamin D as, as different units uh, and when they test your blood versus when they're talking about taking vitamin D as an international unit. So yeah. any, any, why would they use those two different units? It's just so confusing to people. Like, it's, how much do I need? Yeah, I know, and it's the same thing with blood glucose. Like, if you were to go to the United Kingdom and talk about blood glucose, they would be talking in terms of, you know, single digits. Like, is your glucose four, five, six, seven, eight? And of course, we're what? No, that's all very low. No, we're talking 80s, 90s. So the one that we're used to here in the United States is the milli sorry, the nanograms per milliliter. And that's where you'll see most of the data. But if you read, uh, you know, European studies, they'll talk about uh, uh, nanograms, or sorry, um, milligrams per liter so it's uh, it, it's it's all off uh, and, and so when you see these numbers you've got to sort of convert them I'm used to the uh, to the nanograms per milliliter and that's and, and for that generally speaking the lab will tell you that 30 is the cutoff but um, you know from the data that I've seen with COVID I prefer to have my levels closer to 50 yeah I agree a hundred percent now in actual experience you you work with people you I think uh, in uh, emergency room setting or, or just a, 
So I'm a critical care physician, so I take care of all the patients at the ICU, and obviously sometimes I've got to go down and see them in the emergency room, so I'll see them there. Sometimes I've got to go see them on the floor to see whether or not they need to come to the intensive care unit, so I'm, I'm all over the hospital. Wow. So um, from your experience, um, just with observing vitamin D in, in any type of changes with uh, patients you've seen, what, not even looking at studies, what, what are you seeing? Yeah, personally, we, early on, we started checking vitamin D levels, and I would say 90% of the people that were coming in for COVID-19 that were severe enough to need to go on oxygen, they were all deficient, so we're talking less than 30. I could count on one hand throughout the entire year the number of patients that I saw coming in with normal vitamin D levels, but, uh, but coming in requiring oxygen. So it does happen. It's not a fail-safe. It's not, you know, you don't become COVID-proof. But it certainly shifts, I believe, the, the balance. Absolutely. What, what's your thought on, um, is it possible to get your vitamin D through food? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, there are certain foods, uh, certain meats, uh, egg yolks, uh, mushrooms. Uh, it, it's possible. Um, I would say that the majority of us get vitamin D from the sun. Um, that's where the majority of vitamin D is made, especially if you're young, if you happen to have lighter skin. And, 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 you know, if you're outside, that's where you're going to get the majority of your vitamin D. Right. Um, but, of course, the majority of the population has, you know, they're overweight and they have, yeah. they probably don't go out in the sun much. Even kids now, they're, they're not getting out there. So, um, unless they're probably eating fatty fish. Yeah. It, it, here's, here's the other question. Um, um, some of the recommendations by certain um, groups will say that you need about 600 to 800 IUs. Yeah. Um, do you think that's going to change since I think we need a little bit more than that? Here's the problem. All of the research really before 2018 was involved with calcium metabolism. So we know very well how much vitamin D we need as an absolute minimum to make sure that our calcium metabolism is working just fine. The problem is, is that we're not talking about calcium metabolism here. We're talking about immune health. And so it's kind of like saying that you need so much flour to make muffins and assuming that that's how much flour you need to make any bread product, right? Um, it's different. So what you need for calcium metabolism may be different than what you need for your for good immune health. Exactly. So what about um, insulin resistance and vitamin D absorption uh, as it relates to maybe metabolic syndrome? Um, the need goes up, obviously. Um, what... Um, that's one probably one one thing to, to look at as far as if someone has insulin resistance, they're overweight, and they have maybe darker skin. Um, what type of uh, dosage would you recommend for, for people? I know there's a, you know you have the perfect person who's healthy and they have no other issues. They probably yeah. need a certain amount, but I mean there's becoming a problem with uh, the the barriers of absorption. You have people with gut problems and uh, yeah. So, yeah, so all of that. So the biggest thing, uh, the big three big things that will increase your need for supplementation is number one, age. As we get older, our skin is less efficient at making vitamin D. Of course, we make vitamin D when, when our skin is hit with ultraviolet B radiation. And because of the nature of ultraviolet radiation, that typically happens between the hours of 10 a.m. And, and 2 p.m. So the sun's got to be pretty high in the sky because ultraviolet doesn't go through the atmosphere very well. So that's age, number, that's number one. Number two is uh, skin color. So obviously the more melanin you have in between the outside of the skin and, and the dermis, which is where vitamin D is made, then, uh, then it's gonna take a little bit more time 
for that to happen. And then finally three, like you just mentioned, obesity. Um, there are some studies that have shown, at least from an oral supplementation standard, that if your BMI, let's, let's say the reference is a BMI between 20 and 25, that's normal weight. If your BMI is between 25 and 30, the studies have shown that you need to take, on average, one and a half times the supplementation dose to get the same increase in vitamin D that somebody in the BMI of 20 to 25 would. And if your BMI is 30 or more, so if you're actually obese clinically, it's up to three times the amount of vitamin D that you would need to take to be able to increase your, your dose. So just to sort of back off a little bit there, uh, generally speaking, let's say you were taking a, a low level of vitamin D. Um, if you were to take a, a thousand international units of vitamin D, you could expect your levels to go up by about four or five points. Um, if you were taking no supplementation at all. If you were already taking supplementation and you were to say increase the amount of supplementation you were taking by a thousand, you would not go up by the same four points. You would go up by maybe only a point. So there's these play, these things that's non-linear. The, the more mm -hmm. vitamin D you take, the more you have to take for it to go up. And that's why it's very difficult to really overdose on vitamin D. It's, it's probably one of the most difficult fat-soluble vitamins to overdose on. It can happen. Uh, you've got to be careful. You don't want to be taking too much, but it's, it's difficult to overdose on. Let's say you take someone with uh, metabolic syndrome, they're overweight, uh, they're older. Would you think that 10,000 IUs would be excessive or would that be reasonable? I think it could be reasonable. Let me tell you what the official uh, endocrinology societies say. Um, and they're pretty conservative, as you can imagine. They say that if somebody is at risk for vitamin D deficiency, just like the person you mentioned, they say it's, it's safe to take up to about 4,000 international units on a daily basis without having physician or healthcare provider supervision. In other words, getting your levels checked. It's pretty, pretty uh, unlikely that you're gonna run into vitamin D uh, toxicity taking 4,000 international units a day. Now, if you're taking 10,000, I've never seen anybody with vitamin D uh, excess taking 10,000 units a day. I, I think you probably would be running afoul if you hit 50,000 a day, um, but I would stick with the official recommendations of, of 4,000, any more than 4,000, you probably should be getting levels checked and making sure. Now, as far as the complications of, or the toxicity of vitamin D, let's say someone was, because there's some several studies that I was looking at that uh, some people were taking like two or 300,000 yeah. over months. So, so the risk of getting hypercalcemia, right? And um, that obviously, kid, you have kidney stones. Right, so, yeah, so basically increases calcium. And so this is a good point to mention, by the way, there are certain people because of their illnesses that have a tendency to have higher vitamin D levels in the first place. And they may not know this, but people with sarcoid, is, that's an that's a autoimmune condition where your body makes something called granulomas, and, and they are usually very high in vitamin D. Those would be people that I would be very careful about taking supplemental vitamin D um, for that. But if they're taking a lot of vitamin D, like you mentioned, and they're getting, the big thing that they would be getting is lots of calcium. And so calcium, so kidney stones, uh, gallstones, these sorts of things could be a potential uh, complication from very high vitamin D. Just to give you an example, there was a study that was done once uh, where they looked at 20,000 people that were supplementing with vitamin D. And they were supplementing anywhere from a very small amount to a very large amount, like, the, like you mentioned, 200,000. The author of this study was only able to find one person out of that 20,000 
that actually had a diagnosis of hypervitamin Dosis, and his levels were not 50 like we want, but a few hundred. Uh, and, and so that was pretty significant and serious, but you can see it's also pretty rare. Right, right. That's right, because sometimes people are, are nervous about taking over like 200, 200 or 2,000 IUs. And I'm like, well, yeah. actually it's not as common as you think as, as far as being toxic. Now, what about uh, magnesium um, deficiency and people trying to take, they're taking all this vitamin D, but isn't magnesium an important uh, cofactor for vitamin D? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Magnesium is a very important cofactor in terms of calcium and magnesium um, um, uh, metabolism. So it's very important that both of those uh, be taken together. Calci uh, calcium is a what we call a double cation. It has two positive charges. Because of the metabolism in the body, it's kind of complicated. Magnesium also is a double cation and so also should be taken with uh, the vitamin D if possible. Yeah, that's that's right, and so because it's, it's not not as simple as just oh, just take some vitamin D. Um, yeah. How about um, if we're talking about vitamin D and the COVID patients coming in? Do you do you um, mention about zinc, for example, zinc and vitamin D together? Because I know there's a lot of talk about that. Yeah, so when I can tell you right now, when people come into the hospital and they're admitted, to, at least at the hospital that I work at, and we we had some input into the protocols. Everybody that comes in it gets put on 5,000 international units of vitamin D orally. Everybody that comes in gets put on zinc uh, right away. Um, and, then, and then obviously there's other protocols like Decadron, which has been shown to improve mortality in those patients. But I, I believe that zinc is, is important. For those, of, for those of the people out there listening that want to supplement with zinc, the one uh, caveat that I would mention is that uh, zinc comes in many different forms because it's a positive charged ion and it's linked with a negative charge. So you have zinc picolinate or zinc oxide. And so depending on what it's paired with, it'll label it with different amounts of milligrams. So what you wanna do is look at how much elemental zinc that you're taking, and you wanna make sure that you're not taking more than 40 milligrams of elemental zinc a day. That's really the maximum. If you take more than 40 milligrams of elemental zinc, you could run into a problem with copper deficiencies uh, because copper and zinc are kind of uh, metabolized similarly. So just make sure that you're not overdoing it on the zinc. Now, what about if someone's taking like a, a chelated zinc, um, a protein-bound zinc, uh, that's a little bit better than elemental? Uh, it might be in terms of, uh, of absorption uh, and, and easier on the stomach, so I think that's fine, but I would still go with the, um, the 40 milligrams of elemental. Okay, great. Um, and um, the other other question, this is like my own question I have. I don't know if anyone yeah. would have this question. I just want to see what your thoughts are. Um, autoimmune diseases. Um, you have uh, vitamin D um, deficiencies in autoimmune diseases and also the anti-inflammatory action of vitamin D for these, these conditions. But the, the question I have is... Um, there are vitamin D receptor problems sometimes um, with autoimmune diseases, uh, and I've heard I've read this somewhere where there's uh, the certain uh, microbes even have strategies to somehow create um, a blockage or inhibiting effect on the vitamin D receptor because it's their strategy to overcome your immune system. Um, have you heard anything about that? Um, 
I have not heard about that, about microbes um, basically commandeering your receptors. But I'll, let me tell you what I, I have heard. Um, and and this, is, this is interesting that you mentioned about autoimmune diseases and vitamin D. I can tell you that in my family, I don't personally have this, but in my family, we have a lot of Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease is a GI disease that is basically an autoimmune condition. I could name off seven different family members, cousins and aunts and uncles that have it. Um, my sister does not have it, um, but one of her children, so my nephew, had Crohn's disease when he was very young. He had it very severely. He had uh, even uh, anal uh, fistulas and things of that nature. And uh, he was uh, sat down, talked to my, my brother-in-law, sat down and talked to him uh, and, and said, look, and by the way, I have permission to tell this story because he's actually blogged about this. He says, you're going to need to be on a liquid diet uh, for a long time here if we're going to get through it. Liquid diets in pediatric Crohn's disease seems to work well. But one of the other important things that he did for him was he put him on a vitamin D supplement to make sure that his vitamin D levels were elevated because his were actually on the low side. And he lives in California. Mm. Ever since he did that, he went into remission, and it's been years since wow. any of that has come back at all. And uh, wow. he did that. Uh, my brother-in-law, his name is Sean Pittman, and he, he actually has a blog where he talks about this. Uh, he, he went in and researched it, not because he was interested, because he had to. One of his kids had it. And the conclusion that he came to was that vitamin D was essential if you want to modulate the immune system and, and prevent it from having this autoimmune response. And, and let's face it, in COVID-19, that's exactly what we're dealing with. We're dealing with an autoimmune response that overwhelms the immune system and causes the damage that we're seeing in the lungs. And so I believe that vitamin D can help modulate that and, and reduce the uh, severity of, of COVID-19. Wow. So, um, so you, you mentioned autoimmune immune and COVID-19. So are you talking about uh, uh, an autoimmune uh, lung problem that develops from uh, COVID-19? Well, well, no, I'm just basically saying the cytokine storm is, oh. is fits under that condition of an autoimmune where, where the, the immune system is so overwhelmed. But the problem is, is that early on, the immune system is not strong enough because the interferon response is not taking care of the virus. And finally, when the adaptive immune system comes online seven days later, there's this tremendous, it's, it's kind of like the, the, the kids, the teenagers made a, had a party at their house and the parents have just come home. That's what happens. And, and, uh, and you know, everything uh, goes crazy. And, and, uh, and that's the problem with COVID-19 is the lungs fill up with fluid and you can't oxygenate them and, and then you know what happens. Absolutely. Um, as far as, um the people that have autoimmune diseases and also uh, have you found any high correlation or seen this or heard this in um, like polymorphism, like a defect in uh, their uh, genes, especially for vitamin D? So I, I have heard about some studies that have looked at polymorphisms um, and, and it was known as epigenetics where they look to see whether or not people with problems in their vitamin D receptors are also the people that seem to have the most severe COVID. And they did that study, and they did not find an association between the epigenetic issues of vitamin D and those that were severe in COVID-19. Now, they have done those studies with other genes, for instance, interferon. And there's a strong correlation there. People that have problems mounting interferon, either because they have antibodies against their interferon or because the genes that make the interferon are not working appropriately, it's very clear that those people have tend to have severe COVID-19, no question. 
uh, that was published in a very prestigious journal called Science uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic. But um, I, we have not seen those results with vitamin D. But um, as far as um, someone that wants to prevent COVID-19 or prevent the severity, is there any other natural things that uh, you would recommend uh, patients or people should be taking um, as far as um, things that can help to um, wow. maybe yeah. increase their resistance or um, decrease their vulnerability? Okay, so let me, let me do a rapid fire thing of things that I think um, are, are interesting. So very quickly, there was a randomized placebo-controlled trial that was conducted in Iraq looking at something called black cumin seeds. I think some of your audience may already know about this. This was not a small study. This was about 400 patients in this study, and it was randomized. It was open label, and they did about one teaspoon of cumin seeds per 50 kilograms of the patient's weight once a day, and they noticed a tremendous impact uh, in terms of mortality, in terms of the length of stay. Um, black cumin seeds is a seed that comes from a flower in that area, and it's filled with uh, thymoquinone. Thymoquinone has a long track record of being an anti-inflammatory, antiviral, antibacterial, and so I think um, probably more research needs to be done, but I look at this and say, what's the risks, right? What are the risks of giving black cumin seeds? And I think they're pretty zero. Um, and so what's, what's there to lose? So actually, to be honest with you, I've actually um, asked our hospital to add it to our protocol. And uh, wow. we're, doing, we're giving it now to COVID patients who come in uh, as a nutritional supplement. So that's one thing. Um, the second thing that I really find fascinating, this has really absorbed me for the last couple of weeks, so I'm glad I was able to, to talk to you about this. There was a study that was done by some Scottish uh, scientists that looked at the United States during the winter, last winter in 2020, and they noted that they correlated sun exposure to mortality in COVID-19. Now that shouldn't be a surprise. We're talking about vitamin D, but here's the kicker. The kicker was is that this was at high enough northern latitudes in the United States. They, they actually drew a line at the 35th parallel and excluded everybody south of that because they knew that sun exposure south of the 35th parallel could actually improve their vitamin D levels. So they specifically looked at people who were getting sunlight who could never get enough sunlight to make enough vitamin D to make a difference in COVID-19. And you know what they found? Right. They found that sunlight still improved outcomes in COVID-19, leading them to conclude that there is something in sunlight other than vitamin D production wow. that is leading to better outcomes. Now, they looked at not only the United States, they looked at uh, England and specifically Italy, and they found exactly the same results. Now, here's something Dr. Berg, that I think is, is really interesting, and I noticed that you, you actually touched on this in one of your earlier videos, is that what is in light? We, we know that the majority of the energy coming from the sun is actually in the infrared spectrum. It's ultraviolet on the other end of the spectrum that makes vitamin D. We are just now starting to understand the importance of infrared radiation, not only in terms of healing and wounds and things of that nature, but New research is showing that infrared radiation can penetrate deeper into the skin and can actually stimulate mitochondria to make melatonin in the mitochondria. Melatonin is a very powerful antioxidant and is one that people believe may actually be beneficial in not only COVID-19, but in many different diseases. That is fascinating. You have to give me that uh, 
yeah, at those papers. That is interesting because I, I did, uh, I did a video on that, so I, um, I was wondering what, what other things. But that's fascinating. That is really interesting. So I really appreciate you coming on. I, I don't want to keep you too long, and I, no. uh, for those of you, um, I would highly recommend. I'm going to put a link down below, uh, Dr. Schwelt's, uh, um YouTube channel, and I think also uh, Medpram as well, because um, you definitely need to subscribe. This uh, this doc has so much great data, and uh, and I like that you're able to explain it very clearly, so people can understand. I really appreciate that. So thank you so much for your time and. Uh, your valuable information. Yes, thank you, Dr. Bird. It's a privilege to be on. Absolutely. All right. A lot of sun walking around, walking in sun for melatonin. Uh, melatonin is the one that sleeps uh, for better sleep. If we're not sleeping enough, we need to walk more. Get more exercise. Um, thank you very much. Thank you for coming in today's uh, listening podcast. We're going to be listening about the benefits of garlic. You know, they call that the uh, the medicine of the ages, that it heals 156 ailments. I, uh, I took a whole garlic, a heavy one, yesterday. You know, I just bit it into four little pieces, and I took another one this morning, and, and you can feel it in your veins. It starts knocking off uh, intruders, and it helps the immune system. But here's uh, Dr. Berg in the next six minutes will explain to us a little further what it does in the body. Please listen up. Let's stay healthy, active, enthusiastic, and very cheerful because it works like medicine, cheerfulness. <laughs> Here we go, Dr. Bird. Today we're going to talk about the amazing immune benefits of garlic, especially during the winter. Now, garlic has been used for about, I don't know, 4,000 years, and it's been used for things like arthritis, diabetes, colds, malaria, TB, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Louis Pasteur studied uh, garlic and its antibacterial properties, the, the ability to kill pathogenic bacteria. During the Second World War, when the Russians ran out of their antibiotics, guess what they used as their antibiotic? Garlic. So garlic was called Russian penicillin. So garlic has been thoroughly proven as a therapy to prevent infection. As one of the big benefits is ranked at the top as having potent anti-cancer effects. And this data was from the Designer Food Project, where they were studying the effects of cancer prevention from vegetables. Now, I want to share some really interesting data from this book called Modern Phytomedicine, okay? And this is a fascinating textbook using plant compounds and chemicals in medicine. So I want to share with you uh, the chapter on garlic, which is quite amazing. You know, they should really teach this in med school. Unfortunately... When you go through um, medical school or pre-med, I went through pre-med. I didn't go through medical school. I went through chiropractic college, which is not the same as medical school. But there's a tremendous amount of data that you have to learn. And I guess uh, the word learn is probably not appropriate. Uh, let's just say you're being force-fed volumes of data, and you're expected to regurgitate that 
and somehow pass the test. So unfortunately, it's set up not to necessarily really, really understand the material because there's just not enough time to absorb and play with the information and, and evaluate if it's true or not. Instead, you are flying by the seat of your pants trying to memorize and parrot back this information on the multiple choice questions. And then when you graduate, you have a chance to maybe reevaluate the information and, and really learn it, apply it, make sure it's valuable, make sure it's true, and then really spend the time on things that you're interested in so you're not rushing through things. But I want to show you some very valuable things that you can apply from this to your life right now to bulletproof yourself against pathogens. Now, most of the studies that they were done were in petri dishes, okay? That's called in vitro. And so to be transparent, they did not study in human bodies. However, let me explain what they found. So one of the first studies that they did is they took this little petri dish and they filled it with pathogenic E. coli. Then they sprinkled some garlic powder over the E. coli and they noticed that within 12 hours, all of the E. coli was completely dead. Then they compared this with another petri dish uh, with E. coli and then they put fresh grated garlic they grated it right over this petri dish and within 12 hours all the E. coli was completely dead. In another experiment they found that garlic killed MRSA which is a antibiotic resistant microbe which is very very deadly difficult to kill and you see this in hospitals but garlic was able to kill this microbe very easily and another study they found within three hours garlic killed anthrax and you know how pathogenic or deadly anthrax is it creates some pretty serious effects but garlic was able to kill anthrax they also found that garlic has a potent effect against viruses fungus and parasites and then they did some interesting studies on just the odor of garlic you know little particles that come off garlic just from its smell now, what gives garlic the smell is a sulfur compound called allicin. And allicin is one of the chemicals in garlic that um, does its magic for many things, not just infection, for thinning your blood to prevent a clot, for regulating your blood sugars, for killing cancer, for lowering your blood pressure. But they found just having the odor of garlic, not even touching the bacteria, killed the bacteria. So think about it, during the winter months, if you consume garlic and your breath has an odor of garlic, you're actually repelling microbes. You are killing microbes in the air if you're breathing off these garlic um, particles. And apparently garlic has developed um, this defense mechanism uh, for its own survival over eons of time. Just like many other herbs and vegetables, like the onion and horseradish, and many of the cruciferous vegetables as well. Garlic has the ability to bind with organophosphates, which are in pesticides, and detoxify them from your body. Organophosphates really have a devastating effect on your immune system. They lower your immune system. They make you very susceptible to getting sick. And garlic can help detoxify these chemicals to help protect your immune system. And as you probably already know, when you get exposed to a virus, the complications from that virus usually occur in people who have a compromised immune system, whether they have metabolic syndrome or they're going through a lot of stress. It's really the strength of the immune system 
that gets them through these infections. And this is a topic that is rarely emphasized or focused on. Now, one of the problems you're going to run into is the quality of garlic. Did you realize that 80% of all the garlic in the world comes from China? And the problem with that is that in China, they use bleach on garlic. And they use other chemicals to make this garlic look very, very white without any blemishes or brown spots. They also sometimes grow the garlic in sewage. And garlic is heavily sprayed with additional chemicals. So if you're going to buy garlic, make sure it's locally grown. Make sure it comes from a really good source. Another question that people want to know is, what about the fermented black garlic? Does that have any advantages? And the answer is absolutely yes. There's more antioxidants. There's more nutrients in fermented garlic. And that would be black garlic or... You can ferment garlic in honey, for example. Now, the honey obviously is not keto-friendly, but what I do is I take the garlic out, I'll rinse it, it's already been fermented, and I'll eat one of these a day during the winter. And if you're not familiar with this recipe, I'll put the link down below, but it's a great way to ferment garlic and allow the microbes to break down certain uh, chemicals that make it very easy to digest and to enhance the garlic with additional nutrients and phytonutrients. Now, another point I want to bring up is, what about heated garlic? What about powdered garlic? Well, apparently the real important uh, phytonutrients in garlic can survive temperatures that are 100 degrees Celsius, which is 212 degrees Fahrenheit, for at least 20 minutes. So these chemicals do survive a good amount of heat. All right, so now that you know about the power of garlic. Let's talk about the power of using apple cider vinegar. Check this out. All right, we're going to go to the apple cider vinegar. So it works together. Here we go. So today we're going to talk about the benefits of apple cider vinegar. All right, so what is apple cider vinegar? Basically, you're taking the sugar and the apple juice and certain microbes, bacteria and yeast, are turning that sugar into alcohol, then eventually into vinegar. So there's a whole process that occurs, and the end product vinegar is acetic acid. Now there's other acids involved, but this is the main one. So remember growing up in Wisconsin, uh, where there's farms all around our neighborhood, and so we had a crab apple tree, and uh, there was a farmer on the other side of the cornfield so I brought him a big uh, bushel basket of crab apples, and I wanted him to grind up these apples and turn them into uh, apple juice. So he did that for me. I brought him back in jugs, and I left him out in the sun, I think one or two days, and they turned into something called apple cider. Apple cider is basically a spiked apple juice. Okay, it had some alcohol in it. And that basically was the start of my alcoholic journey at eight years old. And I'm completely being sarcastic, so... I did not become an alcoholic at 8 years old, more like 20 years old. No, I'm just kidding. But the point is that if you take apple juice that's not pasteurized, not heated, it goes through fermentation, okay? So with the help of microbes, it eventually turns into vinegar. So there's many different types of vinegar that you can get. The one that I'm going to recommend is a raw, unpasteurized version of vinegar, uh, organic. Uh, Bragg's has a really good one. It also has the mother. What is that? That's basically some residue of some fiber, pectin, some bacteria, and yeast. I do not think that's going to give you a lot of health benefits. 
Really, the health benefits are the acetic acid, but the fact that the apple cider vinegar is raw means that it's going to be rich in enzymes. So that alone can actually help you in your digestion. So you don't want it pasteurized. And the other thing that because it's organic means it doesn't have the added pesticides and the chemicals. So Bragg's is a really good version. Also, the pH is between 3.3 and 3.5. If you get distilled vinegar, it's a little bit lower. I think it's like 2.5. But this is acid enough. All right, so the other thing is you don't need to keep it in the refrigerator. You can keep it outside the refrigerator, and it'll last for like five years. Okay, so now let's talk about the benefits of apple cider vinegar. Number one, digestion. It speeds up digestion. It activates enzymes. So a lot of these enzymes uh, in the stomach, in the pancreas, and other places in the body uh, are dormant, and it takes certain things to activate them. And acid is one of the activators of the enzymes in the stomach to help you break down protein. So right there, that's going to help speed up digestion. Number two, it's going to control pathogens. If you think about it, uh, you have pickles, you have fermented vegetables that are in acid. That acid in there is preserving that food and preventing bacterial growth. So when you consume an acid, it actually lowers the pathogens in the body. It helps in the overgrowth of certain microbes, especially even a condition called SIBO, S-I-B-O, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is a condition where you have bacteria growing in the wrong place. You have all this bacteria growing in the small intestine instead of the large intestine. And so if your pH is not strong enough in the stomach, you can actually develop that condition. So if you take apple cider vinegar, it can help create a condition where the uh, microbes cannot thrive in the small intestine. Number three, it helps you absorb minerals like calcium, magnesium, and iron all need a certain pH to be absorbed. If the pH in your stomach is too alkaline, you're not going to absorb as many minerals. Also, vitamins, vitamin K, vitamin C, and even B12 need this acid to be absorbed. All right, number four, it can decrease gas, bloating, and even indigestion. So the last thing you want is undigested food in your, in your digestive tract. So apple cider vinegar just speeds up the breakdown of food so you have more of a complete digestion. Um, one cause of gas is incomplete protein digestion. All right, number five, it decreases acid reflux. Now. Normally, what happens in the stomach is you have to have an acid of between 1 and 3. Very, very acidic. To be able to have that valve on the top close and prevent the backup of acid that comes in your esophagus. So when you lose your stomach acid, the valve doesn't close, and the acid can reflux up. And the term for that is GERD. And so you would take an antacid, and you feel better. But the next time you eat, it's worse. Why? Because you're making that acid less acid. And so over time... That valve just stays open, you have a constant reflux, and you're dependent on these medications. Well, here's the thing. If you take apple cider vinegar, it helps the valve close more, improving the symptoms of acid reflux and GERD. The exact opposite thing you would think that would work, but it does work. Now, even if you look at the side effects of taking medication for acid reflux and GERD, it's GERD. <laughs> it's the same thing. So... The side effect is that you get more acid reflux. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Okay, so number six, it helps to release bile. The bile is made in your liver, 
and it's released from the gallbladder, and there's a certain signal from the stomach of having a certain amount of acid that then triggers the release of the bile. So apple cider vinegar can help release the bile that's congested. That's why you probably have less bloating when you take it. Also, the enzymes from the pancreas get released, so you have more complete digestion. All right, number seven, you get more of a complete breakdown with protein. So the protein can then turn into its amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. And you need a certain acid to activate the enzymes to do that. Capsule vinegar can contribute to those acids. Number eight, blood sugar improvement. Apple vinegar can help you make glucose more sensitive. So you have less insulin resistance and thereby less insulin being produced. And that can directly cause more weight loss. So when you hear these claims about apple cider vinegar helping you lose weight, this is why. Also, it's going to help you lower cholesterol. Why? Because when you reduce insulin, you lower cholesterol. It's probably going to also help with blood pressure. And anything related to high levels of insulin, it can improve. Okay. And lastly, it can help your immune system. It can stimulate the white blood cells to speed up and help fight infection. So as you can see, there are many benefits to apple cider vinegar. So go ahead and take between one and two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar in some water. Uh, I usually use uh, 16 ounces. I like to put lemon juice in there as well. Uh, you can use a straw so it doesn't affect your teeth. And you can take it before a meal, after a meal. Uh, I take mine in the evening, uh, right about 6 o'clock. I usually take my wheatgrass juice uh, powder in the morning, and I'll take this in the evening. But in summary, there's many benefits to this product. And if you don't like the taste, you can also get it into a tablet form. And I'll put a link down below if you want to take it in a pill form. All right, guys. Thanks for watching. I'll see you in the next video. Greetings. We're going to be doing a fate to fate with Kenny Copeland today's study about 10-15 minutes. Thank you so much for listening in. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Stay. Don't go nowhere. We're going to re read it in a minute. Just setting up my uh, reading schedule. Okay, we're good to go. Kenny Copeland, December 21st. Stick to your calling. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 9 says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Are you doing what God called you to do? Are you? If you haven't ever thought about it before, that may sound like an odd question to you. You may be tempted to shrug it off and say, 
Oh, I'm not really called to do anything. I'm not a pastor or a teacher or a minister of any kind. I guess I'm just what you might call a little finger on the body of Christ. Let me tell you something. No matter who you are, God has put a holy calling in you. He's designed you and called you to meet a need in the body of Christ that nobody else can meet quite like you can. You may be called to be successful in business. You can finance the gospel worldwide. You may be called to a minister of prayer and intercession. You may be called to a ministry of healing right there in your own neighborhood. But no matter what the calling is, it's important and you need to follow it. If you're like many believers, I know you may have let your life become so overgrown with other things that you don't you just have time to pursue your calling. You may be overwhelmed with the cares of life that you don't you can't imagine how you're going to fit in anything else. Over the years, a pastor friend of mine got involved in so many different areas of ministry that he was about to fold up physically under the strain of it. The overload was actually about to kill him. Finally, the Lord spoke to him one night and said, John, it's not your calling that's nearly killing you. It's everything else you added to it. I had to deal with that in my own life. I had to quit doing trips just because they need doing. I had to discipline myself to stick to what I am called to do. Make up your mind to prayerfully trim away the extra things you added on your life. Stir up the gift of God has placed inside you. Go back to what he has called you to do. After all, the calling is vital, it's holy, and it's yours. Don't ever let it slip away from you. And today's scripture reading is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Here we go. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said to him in a vision, 
Ananias, that he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the other children of Israel. For I will show him great and many things he must suffer for my sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples of Damascus. Immediately, he went and started preaching the gospel. He got to work right away. In the synagogues, that he is, Christ is the Son of God, the Word of God, the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we'll be listening to Dr. Berg again about bulletproofing your immune system. Top of the top information and repetition is the mother of learning. Here we go, Dr. Berg. Thank you for listening in with me. How do we strengthen and bulletproof our immune system? That is the topic for today. First thing is, what is your immune system? It's basically your defenses, it's your army, it's your military to fight off the bad guys, the pathogens. Pathogens are microbes that cause disease. The derivation of the word immune comes from the Latin word immunus, which means exempt from public service. And that's interesting. Now, if you break down this concept, it really means protected or free against insult, harm, um, or disease. So basically, your immune system protects you against disease. So the immune system is like immigration. So if something foreign enters the body, it has to go through the airways, it has to go maybe through the digestive system, and has to get the stamp of approval from immigration. And that's what your immune system does. It's, it's constantly scanning to see if you are a foreign entity that could cause harm, or if you're part of the body. And once it tags you as a foreign thing that could threaten the body, it will automatically send in the defenses. And that's what we're gonna cover next. There are three main barriers for the immune system. You have the skin. So you have all these friendly bacteria on your skin that actually help protect you against foreign invaders. You also have a fat layer that protects you and you have certain acids that protect you on the skin. Then you have the mucus lining in your gut through the airways, through the sinuses, that also uh, capture and engulf foreign particles or microbes. 
Inflammation is another barrier that your body puts up to protect itself. The main cells in your immune system are the white blood cells compared to the red blood cells that have a different function. You also have, in addition to white blood cells, you have friendly bacteria that help you as well. And the name of the friendly bacteria collectively is called the microbiome or flora. And those microbes help you in many ways, uh, from absorption of nutrients, to recycling of bile, to immune defenses. Just one of the things they do as a strategy is they'll, they'll make it so there's just not enough space for a pathogen to live, and they will make it so there's not enough food for that pathogen to live. So let's talk about the defenses of your immune system, the white blood cells. It makes acid to dissolve and kill microbes and pathogens. It will secrete poison to kill off these microbes. It releases free radicals. It will make hydrogen peroxide. You've probably seen that before where you take hydrogen peroxide and you put it on an open cut. It just dissolves. It bubbles up and just kills off the microbes through oxidation. Our white blood cells actually make enzymes to help break down and dissolve microbes. Now, I already mentioned this one. Uh, our microbes compete for food or space. But the white blood cells generate mucus and inflammation. And so these pathogens get caught up in this mucus web and they can't really do anything else. It's like quicksand. Uh, also, our immune system has a memory, everything that's happening. So everything's in a database and it can remember. Like, so way down the road when there's a microbe that actually comes back in our body and our immune system actually tags it because it has a memory of that and it can destroy it. So it actually learns over time by being exposed to these pathogens. That's called building up your immune system. And this is why, as a child, it's not very healthy to keep a child just so utterly sterile that they're never exposed or they're never sick. Um, it's a natural part of building the immune system. Then we get to something called the phagocyte. That's part of our immune system. The phagocytes are cells that eat things. They devour microbes. And they have a ravenous appetite for not just microbes and uh, viruses and bacteria and yeast and fungus, but they will also eat up dead cells and debris. They are the garbage disposal for things that we don't want in our body. Just one liter of blood has six billion of these guys. Now, an interesting thing about phagocytes is that they're stimulated by acid. And I think this is why, this is just my guess, why when people take a lot of synthetic vitamin C, ascorbic acid, certain people get results, even with synthetic um, vitamin C, simply because of the acid. I would recommend just consuming apple cider vinegar. Apple cider vinegar has been known to acidify the body and speed up phagocytosis, um, just like any acid. So if you have a choice, I would recommend the food-based vitamin C, not the synthetic, but use apple cider vinegar to actually speed up phagocytosis. And another mechanism that I want to mention that I didn't write down and involves certain white blood cells. If certain white blood cells are infected by a pathogen, we have this built-in mechanism that if the cell is invaded, it goes through something called apoptosis, where it kills itself off for the benefit of the entire body, because if they let the microbes leach into their DNA and start reproducing, then they become the copy machine that just makes the virus over and over and over. Now, on the flip side, the bad guys, the pathogens, also have their defenses as well. They have the ability to block vitamin D, 
and they do it through the vitamin D receptor because somehow they know that vitamin D is so essential for the control of your immune system that if they can block it, they lower your, the resistance to invading the cells and so they can take it over. The other thing that these sneaky little pathogens do is they can mimic your body tissue so you're not recognized by the immune system. They're very sneaky that way. They can also hide in calcium little igloos, little houses. And this is why antibiotics are, are not effective uh, against something called biofilm. And that's a whole different topic. I put a video down below for more information about that. But these microbes have gotten very, very smart. Another mechanism, especially with microbes like the mycoplasma that doesn't have a cell wall, they keep moving. They'll move into one joint in the synovial fluid, another joint, and then your immune system is trying to attack them and they miss, and so they keep moving so you can't get them. Uh, another mechanism is they, these microbes have the ability to morph into different structures so your immune system gets confused. Okay, so now let's talk about what to do about it. There's two things. You have things that weaken the immune system and you have things that strengthen the immune system. Now, as far as what weakens the immune system, low nutrient foods. Going on a diet that creates nutritional deficiencies. If you take the pandemic, the Spanish flu that occurred in 1918, and you take a look at what happened just before this pandemic, this spread of this virus all over the world that killed 50 to 100 million people. What occurred right before that is World War I. Now what happened in this war is you had this huge shift of transportation of food. You had rationing. You had the preserving of food. Uh, a lot of the soldiers were given things like uh, canned corned beef. Some foods had dog food. There just wasn't a lot of fresh vegetables and food. So when you do that over a period of time, you weaken the immune system, especially if you put someone under a stressful state, like being in a war. That is going to set the person up for a susceptibility to having a virus invading their body. So when you're low in vitamins, trace minerals, minerals, amino acids, and fatty acids especially, you are more susceptible to getting sick. Because of the fact that the nutrient defense mechanism is dependent on these nutrients. But I mean, just think about a virus, for example. A virus can't do anything to you, it's not alive, unless it invades the cell wall and goes right into your DNA and starts to turn that thing into a copy machine while it hijacks the, uh, the life force from that cell. Now think about what I just said. It has to invade the cell wall, okay? That cell wall is two layers of fat. It's a bilipid layer of fat, okay? So this is another reason why essential fatty acids are vital to protect your cells. You don't want to go on a low-fat diet when you're run down or sick. So fat and cholesterol, by the way, is very important in a healthy immune system. Cholesterol is an essential building block for certain hormones, like cortisol, for example. Cortisol is really important in your immune system. So if cortisol does not have its building blocks, cholesterol, it can't be formed correctly. And then you have stress. This is probably equivalent to nutrient deficiencies. In fact, in practice, I don't remember one case that came in that had some sickness, that didn't have some stress event 
occur right before it. So stress is a very key factor, and I put some links down below for more information on how someone can extract stress. Low sleep also sets you up for being susceptible, um, and it's connected to stress as well. And glucose. I just released a video on this one point. Certain viruses are activated more with glucose fuel versus other fuels. So you know about healthy keto and intermittent fasting. For those of you that are new and you don't know anything about it, check it out. I put a link down below of the exact diet that you need to be on to have a very strong immune system. But now let's talk about what nutrients are really vital in keeping your immune system bulletproof. At the top of the list, we have vitamin C, and I'm not talking about synthetic vitamin C. I'm talking about a, a vitamin C from food or a food concentrate. Now, in nature, vitamin C always comes in a complex of many parts, not just one thing, ascorbic acid. But the foods that are highest in vitamin C are sauerkraut, bell peppers, berries, green leafy vegetables. Vitamin C has the power to stimulate the production of more white blood cells. Vitamin C is also stored in large quantities in your adrenal gland to actually help make adrenal hormones. Now, next one that's equally as important, vitamin D. I talked about that in the slide right before this. Vitamin D is an immune modulator. It's not really even a vitamin. It's a hormone uh, factor that actually controls your immune system. So it has a function that goes way beyond just making bone. There's vitamin D receptors in all of your white blood cell and in your DNA. And when I mean modulate the immune system, I mean has a controlling factor over your immune system. And many people are deficient in vitamin D and they don't even know it. But it supports the T cells, okay, which are made by the thymus gland, which is like a training camp for white blood cells. Um, it also protects against pathogens. And it actually makes these two different things that have the capacity to kill microbes very potently. So vitamin D does a lot of different things for your immune system. Next one on the list that's very important is vitamin A, okay? Vitamin A provides the structural integrity of the mucosal cells in the sinus and their respiratory centers. The best source of vitamin A is cod liver oil, egg yolks, butter is a good one because it's a fat-soluble uh, vitamin. And by the way, vitamin D is very hard to get from food, so the sun would be probably the best source or as a supplement. Zinc is the most important trace mineral for the immune system. It actually can increase T cells, and it does a lot of other things for the immune system, but a lot of people are deficient in zinc, but zinc is very protective against viruses. Garlic is, hands down, ranks number one in potency for killing off viruses, bacteria, yeast, fungus, mold. It is very, very potent. Next one is colloidal silver, which is basically silver particles in water. Uh, it's been around for a long time. It starves off the oxygen supply to certain microbes, so it's very potent. Some people use it as a, um, a nasal rinse, and it works really good, but this is a very potent antiviral as well. And then olive leaf. Olive leaf has been studied extensively. I put some links down below for more information on that, but this is great as an antiviral and to actually protect the immune system. There's a lot of other things that can protect the immune system, but from my viewpoint, these are the most powerful. Hey guys, well thanks for watching. I know I gave you a lot to take in, but if you haven't seen this video on stress, check it out. I think you'll find it fascinating.
Okay, be reading Christ the Healer today, Chapter 5, F.F. Bosworth. Incredible work of God through a man in the turn of the century that healed many. He was part of the Azusa Street Revival. A lot of history with F.F. Bosworth. Chapter 5, How to Appropriate the Redemptant and Covenant Blessing of Bodily Healing. The first step. The first step towards being healed in the, is the same as the first step towards salvation or any other blessing that God promises, that is, for the sick person to know what the Bible clearly teaches, that it is God's will to heal until one has lived out the allotted span of life. Each individual sufferer must be convinced by the Word of God that his or her healing is the will of God, for it is impossible to have real faith for healing as long as there is slightest doubt as to its being God's will. It is impossible to boldly claim by faith a blessing which we are not certain that God offers, because the power of God can be claimed only where the will of God is known. For instance, it will be next to impossible to get a sinner to believe unto righteousness before you have fully convinced him that it was God's will to save him. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith must rest on the will of God alone, not on our desires or wishes. Appropriating faith is not believing that God can, but that he will. Those who claim to believe in healing, but say one word in favor of it and ten words against it, cannot produce faith for healing. When God commands us to pray for the sick, he means us to pray with faith, which we could not do if we did not know his will in the matter. Until a person knows God's will, they have no basis for faith, because faith is expecting God to do what we know it is his will to do. It is not hard that we have faith. It is not hard when we have faith to get God to do his will. When we know it is his will, it is not difficult for us to believe that he would do what we are sure he wants us to do, what he wants to do. It is in this way that every saved person has experienced a still greater miracle of the new birth. There can be no appropriating by faith until we are made to know by the gospel what God has provided for us. There is no doctrine more empathetically taught throughout the world, word of God, than that. Through the atonement of Christ, both salvation and bodily healing were provided. And that it is God's will to take away the sickness of our own and to fulfill the number of our days according to his promise. As the types of Levites 14 and 15 show that it was invariably through atonement that sickness was healed. Under the law of Moses, so Matthew 8.17 definitely states that Jesus healed all diseases on the ground of atonement. This scripture shows us that Christ's reason for making no exception while healing the sick, who thronged him with his atonement, which he made for all Adam's race, including you, as multitudes after multitudes press upon him, to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, it is repeatedly stated throughout God's, through the Gospels, 
He healed them all. He could make no exception. Why? Because of his coming atonement himself took our infirmities. Since it is our infirmities he bore, it requires the healing of all to fulfill this prophecy. God carefully put this in such language that we would have to misquote it to leave ourselves out. What Calvary provides is for all. God's ways of saving the soul, of healing the body, and of doing everything else he wants to do is to send his word, his promise, and then keep the promise wherever it produces faith. The divine procedure in healing is stated in the text. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their graves. It is the word of God which effectually worketh so in them that believe and is held to all their flesh. First Thessalonians 2.12 and Proverbs 4.22.